Welcome to a special episode of Bucks and Brews this week. Um, I don't know if we're doing Tuesday this week. Nick and I haven't discussed that, but we are doing Sunday morning this week. So Nick had asked me to reach out to some people and see if they were willing to discuss their debt and reasons for their debt. And I had a old high school teammate of mine step up and say, hey, I'm more than willing to talk about this. So we're going to be joined today by Eric Coulter, who is a Plainwell graduate, class of 96. Um, I am, since it's nine o'clock on a Sunday morning, I'm drinking cherry Coke. Coca-Cola, if you'd like to give us a sponsorship, we're more than happy to take that. Uh, Say, you know, because it is nine o'clock on a Sunday morning and my wife won't let me touch the mimosas because that's for Thanksgiving. um, I'm doing the uh, the Amber Geddon. uh, (laughs) It's an Amber Ale from Ale Asylum. Uh, say I'm doing New Glarus Fat Squirrel. Uh, really enjoyed that, and uh, New Glarus Raspberry Tart. Um, very excited. Good beers. Um, I, I'm really like say I, I like to hear about people's debts, why they do it, how they got there, and if if they're working on it and things like that. So um, I'm excited to hear Eric's story, um, and and see if we can't maybe give a little extra push, something like that. Um, or you know, help, help him, uh, help him, you know, if he is in debt, if he's not in debt, like see, see what we can do to, to capitalize on everything. So in, in full disclosure here, Eric also does his own podcast. So Eric, you can plug that too for us. <laughs> no, not on my podcast. You won't No, no free plugs. <laughs> well, I mean, plugs are good. Um, We'll just uh, mention the, the podcast. How about that? We'll, we'll just say real quick. Um, I host a weekly uh, broadcast on my own page. It's called Gumball Head. We broadcast Sunday nights at 6. One of the best things about that is, is if you're interested in it, check it out. And uh, there's a lot of curiosity, a lot of obscurity. And I speak very candidly about myself. And, and my world is an open book when it comes to that, po- that broadcast. So Sunday night, 6 p.m., Gumball Head. Check it out. It's available. Uh, it's a uh, connection uh, broadcast. Um, it's kind of why I didn't want to plug it. Um, it's a connection between alcoholics and normal normal people and kind of gives normal people the idea of what it's like to be an alcoholic or an addict in general. And, uh, and it, it also helps addicts kind of understand their, their disease as well. So no, it's awesome. a connection broadcast. It's great. So sure. I enjoy doing it. Awesome. The 158 episodes on, a, on the Facebook page right now. Um, oh, good for you, man. Been doing it for a little over two years. So good for uh, you. Yeah. I think, I'm, you know, I say to, to connect anybody and anything that people need help in, right. I'm always all about it. Like there, there's people that, that struggle with it quite a bit. And so um, I, I think that's awesome that you're doing that. Well, I can say, you know, anybody that's watched Nick and I, here, here's the deal with the three of us. We're, we're very flawed individuals. We own all of our flaws. Most of our life is an open book. We have absolutely no problem talking about any of the successes or failures, many, many failures we've all had. <laughs> many um, failures. Uh, you know, obviously through COVID in the last few years, um, I've had issues with, at times I drink too much. I reached out to Eric a few weeks ago. I said, we need to talk about this because... Uh, the drinking's getting to be bad at times. And of course, his first question is, all right, well, you started this podcast where you guys talk about drinking. Yeah. Yep. Did that. Um, so, I mean, he gave me a lot of good advice and, 
you know, helped me talk through some of those issues. So that, that was really good. And I can honestly say since, you know, I've had a little bit to drink here and there, usually just on the episodes and, and haven't been drunk yet. So there we go. Me, I guess. This is this is like returning the favor right here, dude. Returning yep. the favor 101. So back. all We're, right. Go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say one of one of the nice things about it is um, in general, in conversations with people that I do know and people that I don't know, um, is we don't realize a lot of times how those types of underlying issues um, tie into a lot of other things. Today's perfect example with me being on on your guys' uh, broadcast today is is I will tell I will mention how addiction has put me in financial binds and how it's also recovery has helped me get out of those financial binds. So there's a lot of underlying causes. There's a lot of underlying financial trauma and personal trauma that go hand in hand with that as well. So uh, we'll get to that point later on, but but for the so, most part. So since we found out that I, I mean you're not drinking alcohol, but we always allow anything to be drunk on on our podcast. Drunk, yep. Uh, what what do you what do you what are you drinking on this morning? Uh, this morning I have body armor, um, fruit punch, and uh, my gallon of water. There you go, a gallon of water a day, man. I got yes, I got to start that. I'm telling you. <laughs> so, all right, man. Um, so Eric, are you are you in debt currently, or are you successful in investing? Um, not successful in investing. Um, in debt, working on getting out of debt. Um, okay. I have probably the most common debt right now, and that's uh, a mortgage uh, as well as uh, student loan debt. Okay. So, um, what did you go to school for? Did you graduate? And um, are you using your degree? Uh, no, I'm not using my degree at this point. Um, I use a lot of the knowledge uh, in my broadcasts and when I'm counseling people, but um, as a career field, I'm not currently using it. Um, Let's see here. You asked, uh, am I using it? Uh, student loan debt. Am I still in debt? Yes, substantially. Uh, my student loan debt sitting around $50,000 still. Okay. Um, I started later in life though. I started in my mid thirties going to college as opposed to going right after high school. Sure. So I and what'd that. you go for? Um, originally I went for criminal justice and I obtained an associate's degree in that. I'm working on my uh, bachelor's degree right now in behavioral psychology with addiction studies um, secondary. So, um, but, and then I, then I've got my mortgage and those are my two biggest, two biggest bills, you know, um, it's tough to crawl out of that hole, especially when you have, you know, a hundred, hundred thousand plus dollars in debt and you're just trying to maintain a normal life. So sure, it's tough sometimes. Yeah. I, um, so say, you know, we find that to be the most common things, right? So I, I lead it to, um, college debt medical bills and mortgages, right? Those are the three that I find are, are I mean, you're going to find it common with 90% of people, right? I mean, so people are going to have that. I mean, you have the 10% that have their house paid off or they're, they're renting and um, getting by. I wouldn't even know if the number is that high. I'd say 95%, right? I mean, medical, medical hits a lot of people. So, um, all right. Let's say, and now, um, we were talking just before this, you were in a little bit more debt before you are right now. Why don't we, why don't we kind of start back at that? Like, what did that debt look like? Um, what, what made you just say, Hey, I have to, I have to start taking a look at my debt. Um, well, one of the things that I've learned in the past is, uh, you can't rely on other people to pay your bills for you. Um, and I mean that in, in, in both sense and the fact that you can't rely on someone else to financially support you, especially if you're working. 
Um, and on the other side of things, sometimes people forget if you give them the money to pay a bill and they forget to pay the bill and it doesn't get paid and then they find that extra hundred bucks in their pocket, they're going to spend it. <laughs> so um, it was a reliance thing and it was a uh, um, where I had relied on uh, my past relationship to financially support us. And uh, once things came to an end, it, it came to the harsh reality of the fact that uh, there were bills getting paid and bills not getting paid. And when I had to take control of my finances again, I realized that I was in a lot worse shape than what I was originally uh, robbing Peter to pay Paul. But because I never saw the money, I never knew that 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 was a situation. Now that I've got 100 percent grasp on my on my debts, all my past dues are taken care of uh, because, you know, I allocate the funds as necessary to where they need to be to get caught up on those bills, such as credit card debt. And being behind uh, four months on the mortgage was a big thing. Um, and not knowing about being behind that, that much on a mortgage, um, working with, you know, the financers to help me get out of that debt. It's taken a while. It's taken about eight months now. Um, but credit score is starting to go up at this point and it's nickeling and diming me, but, but we're getting back to a point where, you know, the credit score is raising and, and I'm starting to get a little bit more credibility financially. Good. Um, and your broadcast has helped a lot too on a lot of uh, different, different platforms as well. Um, just watching like the buying the car episode was fantastic. Um, and refinancing my automobile and, and lowering my payments. Um, don't get me wrong. It's not, it's not a, it's not a love story financially yet. We'll, we'll get to that point, but still in good debt. Um, but now we're in good standing with all the people that I owe money to. So, well, you know, that's, that's a story I hear a lot is, you know, when relationships end, one party a lot of times doesn't realize where the bills actually are sitting. Yep. So Mike that joins us, you know, quite often on here, he, he ran into that when he got divorced, he had all these credit card bills he didn't quite know about. And, you know, if you're married, that's joint debt, you're paying it, even though you don't necessarily know about it. I, mm-hmm. And even, you know, in my younger days with my wife, there were times I didn't know about debt that she had. And, when I found out, I mean, I hit the roof. Nick, Nick knows how. Yeah. Same. When we find out about things, him and I, we just kind of hit the roof, and and I hit the freaking roof because I don't know about this, so I can't fix it. So, I mean, she doesn't take much interest in the money for the house anymore, which, which bothers me. But at the same time, I know where everything is. So. That's what I say. I was gonna, you know, I was gonna say the same. My wife, right? My wife is not really interested. She relies on you know she knows that i guess we have the money or something like that like just kind of goes with the flow and so um i always say right like it's a it's a partnership and i i try to keep my wife informed on on kind of where we are and like i i do i check on her quite a bit i'm just like hey where are we sitting with bills like are we are we making sure that this like because i have to keep that interest because if not i fail like i i it's not that I don't trust my wife. Right. But it's just like, I want to make sure for me that I don't get blindsided. Like I know, (laughs) I know my wife knows not to open a credit card, but I also know my wife can go and spend $300 at old Navy and they're going to offer her 75% off. if She opens a credit card and she does it. And like, Oh, I was going to plan to close it, you know, Uh, which I mean, she, she won't, but like, I still make sure I check like just, Hey, you don't, you didn't buy anything. Like, because it's peace of mind for me. It's again, it's, 
I I know that the tendency and the urge is possibly there. I mean, dude, Menards is running like an eleven percent rebate right now, and I'm over like, and they're like ratchet straps. I own like fifty ratchet straps already, and I'm like, <laughs> I can use some more. <laughs> and I'm sitting here like, <laughs> say, oh, if Menards had a, they do have a credit card, but like, you know, so I just I understand. I you know I always say it takes two, and and two people need to know exactly where they are, right? Um, you know, I have. My wife doesn't have, she has logins, but she never checks my account. But like I check my wife's account quite often just to make sure, hey, we're, you know, we're, we're on the same page. And I know that, I know that she doesn't, you know, I, I tell everybody, right? Like I, I don't necessarily keep my wife poor. It just, it works out that way, right? She pays the, she pays these bills and things like that. And I, I'm the saver, right? Like if my wife has money, she'll spend it. So we put the, we put the, hey, she can't touch it money kind of over here. And then right, I check her account and make sure that she doesn't get into a spot ever in life where she like has to do something because she doesn't want to ask me for money or feel that way. Right. Like I just, Hey, like she always knows that it's right there type of a thing. Like if she absolutely needs it and we have, you know, whatever, I, I will get her the funds. So that- I think, uh, so, so you, how much debt were you in before before you started to realize that you were in debt? Well, it's it's kind of been a snowball, to be honest with you. Um, a previous marriage, and this ties into the story that you just kind of talked about. Previous marriage, I had worked for myself. Uh, I was self-employed um, interior remodeler. And um, when I was working for myself, there were a lot of instances where I'd bring home the paycheck and hand it to my wife at the time and say, okay, um, this needs to be paid. Supply house needs to be paid. This and that. And the other thing. Okay. Well, over the period of about three years, there was a um, situation where she was skimming. So if I brought home a thousand bucks, she'd deposit eight hundred into the business account, take two hundred for herself. Um, and not the same situation as you, where you're checking your wife's account. But when you're on a large job, I was working on a job, and I got a phone call from a supply house one day. I said, "Hey, just wanted to let you know when your checks bounced." I'm like, okay, well, how much was it for? And, you know, where was it at? And they told me it was about 1800 bucks. It bounced. And when I called the bank, they were like, yeah, you're short like $300. Well, when you look at your business account and what the check ledger ledger you have, and it says you have $5,000 in your check ledger, we'll just use that as an example because it's quick and easy math. And you write a check for 2,500 bucks. You're expecting that check to clear with, with money in the bank. Sure. Um, and, and it wasn't. So I had to start investigating into that. Um, when that relationship ended uh, and she had walked away and there, all of our accounts, I had business accounts. We had personal checking, personal savings account. Uh, she was on my children's um, um, college fund accounts. And when I realized over the period of time, how much money had been skimmed over a couple, couple of years and, and said, Hey, this isn't working. You got to go. Um, at the end of the day, uh, after she had emptied all of the bank accounts and everything, we were looking at about a $20,000 deficit total overall. Um, and this is after working and building in, in, in trying to get a business established over the course of a few years. Sure. 20, 20 grand. I mean, to me nowadays, $20,000 in debt. And people are going to say I'm crazy, but that's not a ton. Um, but it's still, you know, to a lot of people, it's still a substantial amount, um, especially when it's only over the course of a short period of time. Yeah. Um, had reestablished uh, financial situations and in, in, in um, 
you know, I had gotten my supply house paid off with the tax returns that year because that year I got to file as a single dad again, uh, which was which was a good thing. But it was saddening because I, you know, I mean, now I'm single again with <laughs> single income to raise my children. Um, and it, it took a lot to get out of that hole. And then there was a huge trust issue. So when I got married again, all of our accounts were separate. Um you know, our bank accounts were separate. Our checking accounts were separate. My bills were my bills. Her bills were her bills. And, you know, that didn't solve a whole lot of problems. It solved the fact that the money was not, that my money was still secure, but again, started relying on someone else to pay the bills again and fell right back into that hole. Um, this last time over, overall, when I worked for myself, when I finally decided to go back to working for someone else, uh, I was at to the tune of about $33,000. Um, so got those debts cleared up and got back on track. And those debts are still part of my current debt, you know, um, with the mortgage, uh, I've been in my home 15 years and I owe less than half on my mortgage now. And it's, it's amazing how an extra 20 bucks towards your principal can really affect over the period of 20 years. Um, you know, sitting now, um, uh, between my mortgage and my school debt alone, I'm at, I think I, told Dave, yeah, I'll, I'll full disclose everything. Uh, mortgage, I owe uh, 78000 on and student debts are 50000 So I'm at $135,000. But my credit cards are all paid and they're up to date. My medical bills are all taken care of. My electric bill is paid every single month. My car payment every single month. My, you know, my car insurance every single month. So I make sure that the core bills are paid. And now I'm throwing that extra 10, 15 bucks on the things that I can to kind of pay that debt down a little bit quicker that's how I've crawled out of that hole is just a little bit extra, a little bit extra. And it's not a ton cause I can't afford a ton, but it, it helps long-term. Now, sorry. So I, I just want to clarify. So you had, you had a few different debts um, and now you put a little extra on each of them or did you, did you, so we talked in one of our episodes about like debt snowball or debt avalanche. Um, mm-hmm. Right now. So, did, or did you, so did you do either of those two or did you just put a little extra on each of them at a time? Well, if I had a, if I had a credit card payment, let's say $50, it was due. Yep. I'd pay, I'd pay 65. Okay. And then now if you had like your student loan and you owed, let's call it 500, you'd put 550. Yep. So each, each one of them, you would pay a little extra. Yep. Um, so I say, you know, um, I'll be honest with you. Like I do, I do the same thing with all my mortgages um, you know, people, people say debt avalanche, right? Like, so take my smallest mortgage and, and put it, put it off. But like, um, so I have mortgages all, all around. So if I have like a $500 mortgage or it, let's call it, let's call it a five forty six twenty three, right? Like there's months where I'll make that, you know, five fifty or I'll make it five seventy five, like depending on if I have a vacancy or if I don't, but like I always round everything to like an even number. So that way I at least paying something over. And then um, one, one, I don't necessarily do a perfect rotation, but like usually my lowest one, I'll pay an extra guaranteed 50 bucks towards, um, but everything gets rounded to that nearest $50 mark. <laughs> um, so, and I don't think there's anything wrong with it, right? Like when you do the math calculations, you could figure out interest rates, but like most of my interest on my houses are all the same. I tell people all the time, like if your highest interest, which is I'm assuming your credit card, like focus the crap out of that thing. Like get rid of that highest interest 
Um, but if everything is within like 0.5% of each other, really the, the math, it's going to take you longer to do the math than it is to sit there and pay the damn check. <laughs> like yep. just get the thing paid off, you know? Um, so I, I, I don't think there's a wrong, a wrong way to do it. Now, David, on the other hand, right, he's going to sit there and he's going to take the math and he's going to figure out exactly like which way he's going to make the most money. And I don't know. I, I don't want to do math for the next 30 years every time something changes. And like, let's say, you know, let's say my, my taxes go up higher on one plate. I don't want to sit there and do that. I just want to get them all eventually paid off early. Yes. I don't care how early it is. I just know that it's going to happen and have money to invest into the next property. So um, I, I think that's so. Yeah, it, it took it took a company to call you and say you don't have the money for you to look into it. OK, so where when, when you did that, how how quickly from from the time that you were called for that, I guess, to where you are today how long has that been since you like worked on your debt to get to just student loan and just mortgage debt? 11 years. 11 years. Okay. Yep. And I guess, so why did it take so long to, to get all that situated? Well, there it's been a process and um, I talked to a financial advisor at one point and I was just like, no, now I'm paying someone to tell me how to do my money. And I was like, <laughs> oh, what a terrible idea. This is a dumb concept. Um, but as I look at things, it kind of makes sense as I got older and started seeing about bills piling up, you know, I mean, the summertime electric bill is 140 bucks and the wintertime is $300. Sure. You know, how do you plan for that when you're, you know, trying to pay everything else? And I just talked to my 17 year old daughter about this yesterday. Um, good for you. Good for her. you. Like, dude, I love hearing that people are talking to their kids about this stuff. Yeah. Well, it started off with me telling her, Hey, your 18th birthday is next week you're going to start paying your car insurance. And she's yeah. like, why, why on my birthday? I'm like, cause you'll be 18. You know, now it's time to start learning what it's like to have, you know, have an adult responsibility because I've let my kids kind of live the way that they wanted to. My son's been doing it since he was 16 years old. He established his own car insurance at 16 years old. He didn't have to, but he's like, Nope, I'm going to do it. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it now. So he watched me struggle financially over the, over the time. The worst thing about it is, and, and, and I think this is, how things are with a majority of the people is I was in the mindset of if my mortgage is $900 a month and I pay 950 and I get a statement four months later that shows that this payment is due and it's only $700. I've made the same mistake as a majority of the people out there of saying, well, I only owe 700 bucks this month. So I'm only going to pay 700 bucks this month, you know, and the same thing with the credit card bills. Well, you don't have to pay 35 this month. You only have to pay 22. Well, I got an extra $13 in my account. Well, Dude. we what we forget about is the fact that, yep, you just spent that surplus yep. and now you're right back to zero. You're not at, you're not in the, in the, in the black anymore. You're back to zero. You're back to that teetering on red and black now. And it's taken me a lot of growing up in my adult life to learn that you can't do things that way. And when I went through this most recent divorce in my life um, and looking at, being four months behind on my mortgage, my mortgage company's solution to that was one of two things. We could take your debt and add it to the end, which was I'm going to be paying over the next 15 years on that mortgage of those four payments. So yeah, it's only 6%, but my truck payment is at 16% for my interest rate. 
So I'm paying 200 extra dollars a month on my truck. And if I add that, that payment for my mortgage to the end, I'm going to be paying above and beyond that. So what they ended up doing with me was allowing me to pay a payment and a half for six months to get everything caught up, which, oh, helped, which helped me out. But man, what a, what a, what a hit to the wallet. Um, but I'm not paying interest on those extra four payments for the next 15 years either. So financially on the Dave aspect of things and probably on your aspect too, that was the right thing to do. Oh, for um, sure. Dude, like, I, that's huge. That, that's like to get that as a gift from a mortgage company. You don't hear about that, right? Like four months behind. I mean, if we look back, like four months behind meant like you're already in foreclosure. See it like you got to go. Um, even, even today, I mean, I guess like COVID's changed little things, but like, honestly, like they're, 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 they're sitting there like itching for, for that, like three months mark just to hit you. So like the opportunity that you had that, and, and, and you were smart enough to take advantage of it. Like, dude, uh, so now did you have anybody help you or did you just bust your ass to get there? Worked overtime. That's awesome, man. Like, and I want to thank you so much for, for saying that because, uh, for saying what you just said, because. Um, most people don't understand. And, and it's one of the biggest things I tell people is, you know, Hey, if, if, you know, my friends go buy a house and the, the first year they overestimate escrow. Right. And as you said, like you were paying 900 and then the next escrow payment, I mean, granted you shot 200 lower, but let's say you're paying 900, it goes to 850. People will automatically pay that 850 instead of, and, and my mindset has always just been, well, I'm so used to this lifestyle. Don't change things. And it'll just pay it off faster. So I'm trying to understand people and how they like, why they would think that they want to like, I mean, really like we, we spend 50 bucks on stupid stuff all the time. Right. Like so 50 bucks just is nothing. And, and yeah, like when you have 50 bucks here, 50 bucks there, but like, if you keep all your bills to like the same flat and everything else in your life can change like food and stuff like that. Right. That's where I find you save that money is like focus Focus on the things you can control and should control. Yeah. When we look at poor people, and, and when I say poor people, I'm including myself and Nick in this poor people category, because if you ask either of us, we're both dead broke all the time. Oh, yeah. shit. Dead. Broke as shit. Dead broke <laughs> all the time. So if you look at the mindset of poor people, for the most part, they say, well, you know, Hey, I'm saving, you know, 20 bucks this month on escrow because they, they recalculated and it's 20 bucks less. So, you know, over a year's time, I got an extra 240 bucks. That's awesome. And they don't actually sit there and do the math of how much their time is really worth. So, you know, at my job, I make over 30 bucks an hour, let's say. So, you know, if I want to grab dinner with Caitlin and Dawn and it costs me 35 bucks. That's more than an hour's worth of my time at work just to pay for that one meal. And if you start to break things down in terms like that, you'll really understand what your value is when it comes to money. So, I mean, if you're, you know, a 22 year old and you're making 15 bucks an hour, does it make sense for you to run to Speedway and get a $9 meal? When you could have made that meal, and Nick and I talked about cheap meals. When you can make that meal for you know a buck twenty-five. Yeah. Um, well, one thing. One thing I guess I want to add is, you know, 
the first year, I think the first year of ownership sucks normally, right? Like it goes one of two ways. Like when you buy a house, like your escrow stays the same for the little bit and then they, they get it off the old, the old price. So it either goes down or it jumps. And like, if it jumps, like you, you get mad, but like when it goes down, it just hurts most people because people forget that like every year after that, it's not going down. Right. Like there's a, all right. There's like a 2% chance that it's act like the pandemic might lower. I mean, right now I just wrote taxes and my taxes went up like next year. We'll see if there's a possibility for a tax break, but like I highly doubt it. So that's the biggest reason I kept my, I keep my payments right where they are like on the higher rate, because I always knew that like the government is never going to like keep giving me lower. Like, Oh, my taxes go down the longer I own it and I'm doing a good thing. Like that's not how it works. So you know, eventually to get back to that mark, if not surpass that mark. Right. Um, and I, I just get, I say I had it one, one time where honestly, Eric, it kind of happened that way. Whereas my payment lowered like 150 bucks off of taxes. And because I, I bought the house dirt cheap. I mean, it was foreclosure com- compared to where they bought it, but so they lowered it down and then like it jumped to like the new appraised value of their new system and it was just insane. Like I was almost right. I was above where I, where I originally was on the first time of payment. So um, that was a very frustrating time for me, but I was glad I kept that kind of payment smoothly. I was just more pissed that I wasn't paying more principal. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, it's like, I should have just, if I would have known, I, I would have just paid that principal like crazy. So um, now do you have a truck payment still, or is that all paid off? Yeah, I, I, owe, I have 20 payments left. I'm pretty, pretty adamant about making sure um, how the payments work on that. I, I overpaid for the truck. Um, I got out of a lease. And the only reason I bought the truck was, um, you know, I had SUV prior and it was a lease. And, and in my opinion, leases are, are good for people that don't drive much. <laughs> um, but when I turned in my lease, I was four months away from the end terms of my lease with 48 miles left on my mileage. Um, I found a truck and I'm like, I want to buy this. And I wanted it so bad, so bad, so bad. Cause I was going through my midlife, my early midlife crisis that I wanted this truck so bad. And, and I just had to have it. And I bought it. And as soon as I bought it, the first payment came through and I was like, I made a huge financial decision that was detrimental to my wallet. Um, because I went from making a lease payment of $230 a month to $560 a month. So I doubled my payment on my vehicle. And then immediately after that, I had, I had gotten, gotten promoted to a, to a new job, which was great because I was going to be making more money. The sure. downside of that was, was I had to drive an hour and a half to work every day in a, in a Dodge Ram that got 11 miles to the gallon. So, Mopar, Mopar all day, baby. Yep. So now I had to figure out financials to, to compensate for that. So when, I, when they negotiated my hourly rate for my new job, I had to figure in gas mileage as well. So- sure. When I did that, it was like, great, um, you know, and they gave me what I had asked for just to cover, but I was paying $300 every, every paycheck to drive back and forth to work every two weeks. So that was $600 a month that I was paying for fuel. That's crazy. And when uh, recently uh, back in um, August of this year, I was given an opportunity to change jobs. And when I was talking to them and negotiating rate of pay, they were like, hey, I can't afford you at the rate of pay that you're asking for. I said, well, that's okay. Let's figure something out. My new job is a mile away from home. 
So now I'm not driving all that way. So it was okay to negotiate those finances back down to a more lower rate because I wasn't paying that fuel anymore. So I had to do a lot of number crunching in order to make that happen. The nice, excuse me, the nice thing now though is, is the place that I'm working now is I work a ton of overtime, whether I want to or not, or whether, whether it's available or not, I have the opportunity to, Hey, Christmas is coming. I need to work an extra 10 hours a week uh, over the next few weeks, just to make sure I'm not digging into what I've already got established for my budget. So, Hey boss, can I work an extra 10 hours a week? Sure. I don't care. And it's, it's fantastic. So now I can do that. Do I want to No. but is it going to affect my budget? No, it affects my time away from home. Um, and with a new baby, you know, eight months old, um, that's important to me that, that, that time, because if you think about it, 10 hours a week is two hours a day, you know, and how much, how much time am I sacrificing now? So I just, I go in an hour earlier and I stay an hour later, as opposed to tacking on those two hours at the end of the day. So family time isn't sacrificed. And I'm still making, maintaining that, you know, a little bit uh, extra, put it in the bank money, but October, November, December are the most expensive months of my year every year. Um, and then September, when you have, you know, when my birthday is, you've got your new tags and new driver's license and all that. So that's another month that, that I have to budget a little extra for, but the rest of the year I can be comfortable in the budget that I've established for myself. Um, because I know that those payments are not going to change. And, and you hit the nail on the head right there a little while ago when you said you pay that extra X amount of dollars. And when your payment lowers, if you maintain that, that lifestyle, it's only going to benefit you in the long run. And I learned that with the first um, escrow difference that I got on my mortgage at like year four or five was when I got a check in the mail for 800 bucks because of an escrow overage. I was like, oh, this is fantastic. You know, and I got that like in July, maybe. Um, yeah. I don't know if they do it semi-annually or quarterly or whatever, but then the first payment that happened in January, my mortgage payment went from 902 to 935. And I said, what, why now I have to figure out another 25 bucks, a 25 bucks a month to put into my mortgage. If I'd have just left it the way it was, you know, I'd probably have a majority even more of my mortgage pay down. And, and, and I think overpaying just the extra, you know, 20 bucks or 30 bucks every month on my mortgage has probably taken a year off of my principal in, in over the course of 15 years, it doesn't seem like a lot, but if I can pay my house off in 25 years versus 30 years, that's five years of me being able to put money in the bank. Well, so there's like a really awesome calculator out there. Uh, if you just, uh, if you Google overpayment calculator and it'll let you put in any amount and it sounds really stupid. Um, but if you pay just a quarter every month, like one 25 cents every month, it knocks off like 1.3 months off of your, your entire thing. Like just one quarter, right? Over 30 years, a quarter adds up that much. And wow. so it's really cool to like, to like play with that. And like, when I see that calculator, I'm like exciting. And then, you know, like I always try to see how much it would take to pay it off in a year. And then honestly, like even just knocking a full year off, because like at that point, I'm like, that's profit. And so I play with that calculator all the time. Right. So just Google, um, just Google uh, overpayment, overpayment calculator or mortgage overpayment calculator. And it, you'll, you'll be able to just put in a number, even three, five, 20 bucks. Like it's, it's really fun. It'll show you the amount of years, months, days that it breaks it completely down. I think that's, I think it's fantastic. Um, when people get down to the, to the last bit, you know, what I find funny 
is most people, right? And, and it's, it's so stupid. Um, most people, right. When they're, when they're down to their, let's say you're on your, your 30 year loan, you, you know, over 30 years, you would assume you have a couple bucks in the bank and people still wait until that last payment comes out just to make the final payment. And I'm like, you could save 20 bucks by paying on the 15th. Like you literally owe nobody, anybody, anything at that point, like pay it, you know, pay it the second, right? Like pay the, pay your first one, the first, and when you get your next paycheck, you'll have enough money. Just pay it right then because like all interest stops, everything stops at that point. And people forget about that is like, you know, so when it breaks it down to, you know, one year or sorry, one year early, three months and 12 days, right? Like you could pay it on that 12th day and officially have enough money completely paid off if you make that next mortgage payment. Um, so Eric used a word a few minutes ago that Nick and I preach. Nick, do you remember the word he used while you're taking a drink there? Um. I say budgeting budget yeah i say we, we talk about budgeting so much and nobody likes to do it eric is it fun to budget i mean is that your idea of a good time nope that's grown-up task i don't want to be a grown-up man me either i still I want to be like, a toys r us kid i feel like you were a waiter right there because i was drinking you talked to me eric was drinking while you were talking to him like you're, you're a perfect waiter, bro. I, I've never been a waiter, but I'm glad I, I looked up to that there. <laughs> Especially <laughs> noticed, like, um, so I say, yeah, right, like budgeting. Now, Eric, do you have a written budget right now or how are you budgeting? I mean, what? So we know that you didn't keep track of things back then. Like what, what changed now? What did you do now? Well, first and foremost, um, I allocate funds every paycheck so i know every paycheck this static bill needs to be paid so the first paycheck of the month and i had tried splitting my mortgage up into two different paychecks and my car payment up into two different paychecks and my insurance up into two different paychecks and these are my largest debts okay these are my largest monthly expenditures um and just just so people that are watching this understand my mortgage is 956 dollars a month my truck payment is 560 dollars a month and my car insurance is 330 dollars a month so first paycheck, what's that? It's like 1800 bucks. Yeah, it is. And if you think about what the normal, normal people now, mind you, I'm in management and distribution and logistics. Okay. So I don't, I don't make $13 an hour. I make better than that, but it's still, you know, you can still make that those, the, those dollars work at $13 an hour. And I can only say that from experience because I've made it happen. There's always side hustles. There's always, you can always craft, you can always, do side projects. You can always, you know, um, I'm thankful because I do get paid for some of my, my speeches when I go out and I do, I do talks. Um, when I, when I go out and talk about addiction to people, sometimes I get paid for that. Sometimes it's just a hotel stay or they cover my hotel and my food for the weekend, but that's an expenditure I don't have to worry about. But regardless, the first paycheck of the month always pays my mortgage, no matter what, and whatever's left over goes towards my bills. And then my second paycheck every month goes towards my car payment and my car insurance, no matter what. Okay. So at least my home and my vehicle are covered. Um, I can survive without electricity and that's just my mindset. It's always been that way. Um, food. You said, Dave said something, the difference between a $9 meal and a $1.25 meal. Let's be realistic here. Ramen noodles are cheap. And I've lived on ramen noodles and bologna more times in my life than I care to count, but it's, it's possible to do. Um, 
but the more, but the, but the, the home and the vehicle are the most important in my life. So I make sure those are paid for. Um, and then everything else is okay. I have this much money left over in my paycheck. These are the bills that are due. Can I pay the electric bill? No, I can't pay the full thing. Can I pay half of it? Yes, I can pay half of that and still make my credit card payments. And then on my next paycheck, I can be like, okay, I owe this amount left on my electric bill, this amount left on whatever it is. Um, I do write everything down. I know how much money I have going out and how much money I have coming in. And, and like I said, that took me 10 years to establish that ability to, to focus on that. And, and here's one of the biggest things that I've learned. Um, right now on my financial aid and my student loans, I'm on an income payment or income driven repayment plan. Okay. And a lot of people don't know about that, about the, about that. The downside of that is, is if you're on an income driven repayment plan and you owe, in my case, you know, 30, 40, $50,000 in, in student loans, if you're on the income payment and you're only paying a dollar a month on that, you're not helping yourself out any, you know, um, I have a friend that has $0. I think her income driven plan is like, I think hers is 38 cents a month. Okay. Because she is a single mom of three and she's only required to pay that back. What she doesn't understand is, is the interest still compounds over time, you know? So yeah, it's less than a dollar a month, but if you pay $35 a month or you pay $50 a month or you pay $300 a month on that, on those student loans, they start to fall off. Now, last year when I went through my divorce, um, I started looking at even those little tiny bills, my credit card bills. I was behind. I had a GameStop credit card that had a $700 limit. I had a Gander Mountain card that had a $1,500 limit. I had two Capital One credit cards with a $500 limit, and I was paying the minimum payment every single month. The downside of that is, is okay, well, I've got this GameStop card. Well, I can't afford to pay that this month, so I'm just going to worry about it next month. Oh, um, and so, you know, next thing you know, I'm 10 months behind and they're calling me saying, hey, we're going to garnish your paychecks, this and that and the other thing. Jeez. And again, those creditors worked with me and they were like, well, let's do this, blah, 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 blah. And uh, and I'm speaking for the normal person here. You and Dave are both financial people. You guys understand those numbers and coming from a normie, from from an everyday person that sure. doesn't understand the the financial side of things. Like my GameStop credit card, they said, hey. We're going to set you up on this for six months. If you make this dollar amount payment for six months consecutively, we're going to get rid of all your past uh, interest rates, you know, all your past interest payments, which was super cool. And then we're going to set you up for success on the balance of your payments. So creditors will work with you no matter who you are, you know, but I've been married and divorced and married and divorced and married and divorced, you know, and I've shared those financials with people. And then once you realize that you're the sole income, it gets a little rocky and it gets a little scary because now it's only one person paying those bills instead of two. And if you don't get on top of them before they become a problem, they become a problem. So, so working with the creditors was the biggest thing for me. Um, in, 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 I've, I've always worked with the creditors when I have somebody who calls that is a collection agency, I say, how much is it? Send me written documentation so that I can keep track of this because it goes into my bill pile. Um, and this is, this is how I've set myself up for success. I'm still not successful financially yet, but I'm not behind on my bills. I'm caught sure. up, you know, and I'd like to get ahead, but these are the steps that I'm taking to get there. 
So when when those collection agencies call you, it's it's those are dire times. Medical bills, I was always in the mindset of, well, they're not going to sue me over medical bills. That's a lie. Because <laughs> they will. They will. And in you know what? Yep, that debt might fall off seven years later, but that's seven years that it's affected your credit, long-term seven years. And this could be another five years before it falls off saying that you didn't make that payment. So you're financially affected for for one bill that's, you know, six months overdue for the next 10 to 15 years. And that affects your credit score and your FICO score, which is your credibility, which is your, your 100% absolute ability to obtain, you know, money from lenders. And at 42 years old, when I look at my FICO score a year ago, which was 510, and I look at it now, which is 645 a year later, you know, it's still not as great as I want it to be, but the difference is mind blowing just because I've made my payments on time and I've made a little bit more effort. And those people are like, okay, they're making more effort. They're more credible now. Sure, and it's sure. just a matter of a few dollars here and there. Well, so, and you know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to sound weird, but like, I don't know how I became financially responsible. Right. Like, I mean, I guess I, like growing up, in the poorer area, like my, my parents were divorced, right? So single, single incomes, both sides. My, my dad used credit cards. My mom, she was really like always cash kind of a person. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I got a credit card like right when I was 18, because in my mind, like opening a credit card was the only way to get um, credit, right? Like, so I go to the bank and I was like, and they gave me 200 bucks. And then they raised it to 500 and then they raised it to like a thousand. And I was like, okay, like I didn't ever spend over like the 200 original minimum. And then all of a sudden, like they jumped me to, I don't remember like five grand or, or 10 grand or something. It was stupid. And I went to go get my first loan at like 20 years old for a house. And he's like, um, all right, Hey, you have this credit card, you know, uh, make sure that they don't, uh, he's like, why is it at 10 grand? And I was like, I don't know. I just kept getting a notice that said, Hey, congrats you've been bumped up and I'm like I barely like I used it to pay my college books and then kind of like paid it off right away I was working a full-time job and he goes yeah just make sure that they they stop it so they they sent me one that was like hey you have a $25,000 limit and I was like I don't want this so I call him and I was like look you can see my history I haven't used your card in years months like I need, I'm going to get a house, stop raising my credit limit. Like I don't really care about you. And uh, you know, so the only reason I guess is because like my perfect timing for things was like, I had this guy who's telling me, Hey, stop, because this is like, if you're going to go into this field, stop getting, stop getting so much funding. Like, because they look at credit cards as like open end of debt. Like you can go in and just swipe at any time. And at that point, my debt's income would, would fall off. And I was like, even though I can tell them till I'm blue in the face, hey, I'm never going to swipe it. And I can show you transactions for three years. I've never swiped it. Um, so a side story on that. To prove um, I don't use my credit card. Uh, I w- I was, I'm so naive. It's crazy. Um, I went to my bank on, let's call it a Friday. And I was like, hey, I'm going to pull out a substantial amount of money this weekend to get, to get siding put on my house, right? Which is going to cost me like seven grand. And I was like, is there a limit for um, ATM transaction. Like, nope, you can, you can take what you want or whatever. Okay. So I I go to the ATM after like six o'clock on Friday or something. I try to pull out like seven grand and it's like denied, denied. And like, I try four grand, I denied. 
So I was like, oh, crap. So I, I walk into Lowe's, and I was like, uh, I can't get it, but I have this credit card, right? And she, uh, I go, I've never used it. Like, I, it, they, they just send it to me. It's open. And she's like, okay. So I swipe it, declined, declined, declined. And I was like, look, lady, like, I'm not trying to be a pompous asshole. Like, there's $25,000 on this credit card supposed to be there. And she goes, okay. And she goes, I was like, look, I don't use this thing. And she looks at it. And it had expired four years ago. <laughs> like, she goes, oh, that could be it. And I was like, all right. So I try to call the company and they're like, yeah, we'll, we'll get you a new one. And I was like, okay. And I was like, can I use it today? And she's like, no, it has to be the whole new card. And I was like, well, I don't want a new one then. Like, forget it. Like, you can't help me. So I had to call, I had to call my grandparents at the time, which is the only people I knew that had credit. Like I had the cash. The only people I knew that had credit. And I was like, Hey, can you come swipe your card? And I will pay you cash on Monday at like nine 15 AM. Cause I have to get to the bank at nine. And I show up to my grandparents house with like a bag full of cash. And I was like, here it is. Thank you. I officially got my signing done. Like, I don't, you know, I never understood how that, how like the banking worked and how that stuff, like, I mean, now I'm, I'm like a year away from my debit card expiring and I'm like already freaking out about it. And I'm like, I need a debit card like right now. Like, I don't, I don't want to get to that spot where it's like, I don't know. I have a substantial amount in my bank account. I don't want to be like decline, decline, decline. Right. It's just, I, I would hate that situation, man. Um, we, did, we did an episode on debt months ago and Eric hit on it a few minutes ago. Um, if you're willing to work with your creditors, they're typically willing to work with you because getting even, you know, 50% on the dollar for them, if, if you're going to default or if you're going to file bankruptcy, you know, that's, that's money for them. Yeah. They're more than willing to at least try and figure something out. Now, you know, Eric mentioned earlier, he had a big win with the mortgage company. I'm blown away the, the way they worked out that those payments to, you know, get those four caught up that's that's phenomenal in and of itself because you don't usually find a mortgage company that's willing you know to hey you know if you just pay extra for four months those four payments you're good that that was that was uh when i called now now mind you had i had i only been with them you know three four years they might not have been so quick to to assist with that right um i my mortgage company is Flagstar. I'm going to plug them real quick. They've been great sure. to me. Um, when I I got divorced from my first wife and uh, and about six or seven months, in, I, I was living in a, a two-bedroom apartment with two children. I had a one-year-old and a three-year-old at the time. Um, baby babies. Uh, we had just gone through bankruptcy. We had just cleared our bankruptcy. Um, six months later, we decided to file for divorce. No longer a two-income household. Um, so I had to move into an apartment. I couch surfed for like three months and I got sick and sick and tired of doing that living with friends. So I felt like I was taking advantage while I was working a full-time job and I didn't get to see my kids. So I was like, I'm tired of this lifestyle. This is back in, um, let's see here, 2004, 2005, maybe or 2003 in the early two thousands, I was living in a two bedroom apartment. My neighbor downstairs beat his girlfriend. The guy upstairs smoked so much pot that I was always high too. Uh, the people across the hall were hoarders. Um, and I hated living in an apartment and, and I was like, you know, my kids deserve better than this. I deserve better than this. And like I said, I was fresh off bankruptcy. I found a place up in, um, um, Granville that was like, yeah, we'll, we'll get you a mortgage. 
you know, we'll, 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 we'll get it figured out for you. Um, my, my mortgage had discharged. He said, well, we need two years post discharge in order to, um, in order to get you a mortgage. And it ended up only being 18 months. The guy worked it out. Um, when I bought my house, I bought my house the day after my divorce was final. Um, for, for anybody that goes through a divorce, don't, don't buy a house while you're going through a divorce because now it's both of yours house. <laughs> so you got to wait. Um, but the day, the day after, you know, I, I closed on my house and I got my keys to the home. Um, and like I said, I've been here just a little over 15 years. I got my 15 year statement in, um, in June said, congratulations for, you know, being in your home over 15 years, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I've always struggled financially. I, I grew up just like Dave did in Plainwell. Um, my parents were divorced, single incomes, both sides. Um, you know, and, and I, I did sleep in my car. I slept on Kevin Shook's couch and for an entire summer. And, and uh, you know, I, I just did the things that I needed to do because at that time in my life, I felt like a burden to the family um, just because I was a punk kid and didn't want to listen to rules. But I'll tell you, I've been working, working a job since I was eight years old. I'm 42 now, 40, 42, 43, something like that. Um, so I've been working a majority of my life. And if, if we sit back and look at the things that, that we have, even though I'm house poor, even though that I'm car poor, I love the fact that I have a yard for my kids to play in, especially now with a new baby. I'm going to be able to raise a baby in a yard. You know, I've got a fenced in yard where I can have a dog. These were the dreams that I had at a very young age. These are the things that I wanted. And that's why the, why the house has always been so important to me. I had lost a house to foreclosure in 2000. And that was a terrifying experience. And that's what, what well, in 1999, I lost in foreclosure. And that's really what turned us into that, that whole filing bankruptcy before I was even 21 years old was how much debt that I had at the time. And I vowed to never make that happen again. And I've saw, I've seen myself fall into those patterns too. Now, when, when we started all, when we all started talking, um, I had, I had spoken of, you know, the podcast that I do and the broadcast that I do and all of that and tying my conversation today into addiction, there was a four year period where I just didn't care anymore. And that was because I was heavily addicted to alcohol and, um, Dave knows a lot of my story, but, but for those who don't, I was drinking a half gallon of vodka per day. If we do the math on that, Nick, you could just probably do the quick math inside your head, $13 a day times 300. And I'm going to say 320 days a year, because there were days that, you know, I had to work two jobs over that period of the year, over the course of, you know, four years, that adds up to a lot of money. And that adds up to falling back into a financial, um, demise, but I didn't care you know, like four years. That's like, that's like, I don't know, probably above 15,000 bucks, man. It was a ton like, of money. It was a ton like, of money. And, and I mean, it's say, you know, it, alcohol is not necessarily like it costs you money. Like even, even if you're the me, right. Who, I mean, I drink, but more socially drink than I, than I do. You know I mean? I, I drink because, you know, I drink a lot on the podcast and, but during the week, like I usually keep myself too busy to drink, <laughs> but like one of the things I, I, when I was younger, right. Like we would get a bill, David, you talked about going out with your family to dinner. And it was like, you know, my wife and I, before the kid, we could go out and have, you know, we both get two meals and it's 10 bucks a piece. And so we're like, all right, 20 bucks. 
But then we realized that we got, you know, both, both of us got a drink and it's like 30 something dollars. And I was like, this is insane. Like, so we started like our rule, our rule when we go out back then um, was like, Hey, nothing but water. Right. Like I just want our food bill to be the thing. If we want to drink, we can drink at home because it's going to be so much cheaper, but like 15,000, I mean, and you were drinking at home. Like now if you were to half a gallon every day out in public, I mean, you know, like at a bar, dude, like you're astronomical. Like I I know there's times where, you know, I'm the kind of person I celebrate everything. Like I really, um, you know, I'm not afraid to admit it. Like when we found out we were having my daughter, you know, six years ago now or whatever, my bar tab at at the bowling alley itself was like 680 bucks. Right. Like uh, it was, it was just full celebration. This is what we're doing. Um, And like looking back on it, like that's 680 bucks. I could have made like a whole nother mortgage payment on their house. Like I could have done something. And yes, it was a great time, but like it didn't need to be spent. Right. Right. Um, So I, you know, a alcohol, alcohol will like drain you financially and it doesn't help your body in any way. So, I mean, there's really no positive to alcohol. (laughs) I mean, at all. There's, there's a lot, there's a lot of context to that too. So I don't, I don't want, I don't want you or, or, you know, the people that watch your broadcast to to think that I was just drinking for the sake of drinking. At the time I was a paramedic, a medical examiner, a firefighter. I was public safety. There was a lot of trauma in life on a day-to-day basis. There was a lot of PTSD. Um, you know, I worked through the Uber shooting here in Kalamazoo. I worked through a lot of, a lot of traumatic events. The problem was, was over time, there was a lot of difficulty in falling asleep. So my alcohol was not a matter of, I really, really, really want to drink. It was a matter of, I really, really, really want to sleep. So I, I have to make sure that I talk to people about that because my, my alcohol consumption was far different than a majority of people out there. And I can go to events and I can go to activities where, I can enjoy, you know, I can enjoy time with my friends and stuff like that. I drink non-alcoholic beverages. I found a lot of mocktails and a lot of alcohol, uh, non-alcohol beers that I enjoy, you know, and and even now I look at it at at this point where I could probably sit down and indulge in a few beers and it's not going to be super extreme. The reason why I drank liquor was because I got drunk a lot faster. I could do it before I got home. And it was way cheaper than, you know, a six pack of beer. And at the time I was struggling with sobriety anyways. Yep. So I wasn't honest in, in my addiction with my family because I've always enjoyed beer. Beer has always been my thing, uh, but it's, a, it's really difficult to conceal, you know, six glass bottles or six empty beer cans or sneak them into the home when I could just pull into the parking lot of the liquor store, get hammered and then come home and escape to my video games for the next four hours while the liquor takes over, you know, the thing. So, so there's a lot of underlying context to that as well. So, um, but, but that is, that's what brought my interest into the, the addiction aspect because it's not just alcohol. And I don't focus like on my broadcast weekly, I don't focus on drugs and alcohol. Everybody's abreast to that information that comes with drugs and alcohol you're either going to use or you're not you're either sober or you're not i like to focus on process addictions and this too ties into that a lot too because of gambling because of pornography because of you know overeating those are the addictions that i really like to focus on because those are controllable addictions that are in the mind and they're not a consumption-based addiction they are consumption-based but they're not they're not they're they're not doing physical damage to your body 
but they do incur a substantial amount of financial damage. And I've noticed myself too in, in, in the last couple of years with the gumball head and with the recovery program that I run is I've started to dabble into the drama of other people's lives, you know, starting to get interested in these people's lives and then kind of incorporating my mindset and my opinions into their lives. And it's much like being here with you guys right now. Like I'm getting a lot of good information, a lot of good feedback. So I pay that forward, that information, that feedback. Like as soon as I get done with this broadcast, I'm, I'm going to be talking about financials and I'll do it tonight on my broadcast too. Um, but that that's the biggest thing for me is, is was understanding same thing with my financials, understanding that the reason why I drank liquor as opposed to beer was because I could get drunk. I could get, I could achieve that, that, that way that I wanted to feel and I'd be able to drink until I passed out so that I could go to sleep without nightmares. So, um, so in that, that was like, I was always able and I, I probably even to this day could still be a social drinker. It's just, I stay away from it all because I don't want to create that hindrance or that chaos in my life anymore. Sure. So. Well, you know, it's one of those things too, where, you know, Eric and I talked about this and, and Nick and I have talked about this. So if I get to the point where I drink too much, Dawn will ask me, she'll go, okay, what the hell's going on? And it's always, it always ties back to, I'm overly stressed. I haven't found an outlet for that stress. It's the only way to shut my brain off is to drink too much so that, you know, for a couple, three hours, I don't have to have that stress in my life. I don't have to feel any pain. You, you start to feel good and you're like, okay, we, we got to keep this going for a little bit. So we're not, you know, feeling any of these feelings that we don't want to feel. So, you know, and, and, and especially in the last four years, I, I'd say it started with my aunt passing away and then Dawn's stroke. It, it turned into the only time I wasn't stressing about whether it was money or health or something was if I just got blasted. And Nick's seen me at a few of these occasions because it's been at his house a few times. And, you know, you have to figure out at some point, okay, I can't, I can't keep doing things that way. And it's the same with finances, okay? Your finances snowball into this huge problem, but you can't fix it until you look at the root cause of what that problem is and then decide, okay, I have to stop this. I have to fix this. Right. Well, so, and I think that's, that hits the hammer on the head, right? Like it has to take something, right? Everybody's addiction, everybody's everything takes something some spot, right? And like you hope that it happens before the the final the final result, but like um right so that's why we we do these podcasts is right like to get people to understand that hey like take a quick look just remind yourself like is it gonna you know, there's a possibility it can spiral out of control we want to stop you before it happens like or hey yep check yourself we're we're doing okay things are fine. Um Eric I know in the beginning of the episode you, you mentioned that um you were investing in your kid's college fund. Are you still doing that? No. Um, at this point now, uh, mind you, my kids are, my, my daughter will be 18 in a week. Um, she doesn't know if she wants to go to college. My son um, has, has set himself up for success after he saw the deterioration of the financial situation back then. So he took it upon himself. He's always been financially savvy. Um, so, and he's always had more money in his bank account than I do. 
if we sit down right now, I could open up the app and look at his bank account versus mine. And I, I guarantee you right at this point, he's probably got twice as much money in his than I do. Good for um, him. Yeah. Great for him. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, I, when, when my accounts got wiped out, I had had money set aside for both of my kids for college. And I had just started that financial fund. Um, and I think the fund itself was right around like 1200 bucks. It hadn't been going very long, uh, but it was, it was enough to establish some money for the kids for college. And then I went back to college and I started looking at things and, and, and my philosophy became, um, you know, I paid for my own college so you could pay for your own. Um, so, and I think that turned my son off to college a little bit. He's just kind of like, well, it's expensive and I don't want to do it. Um, and he's a decent mechanic now, which is good for him. He's, he's going to make good money. He doesn't yet. Um, but he's got money in the bank. I've got money in the bank. He, he watched me struggle with that money. Um, they both are aware of what happened. And when that all happened, that was like, I don't know. I think it was, I can't remember if it was 1200 or 1500 at the time it, it was, you know, 16 years ago, Sure. but it was the 1200 or 1600 plus an additional $500 overdraft per account. So the kids both have the same amount of money plus the overdraft on the account. So I still had to pay back the overdrafts on the accounts as well. Um, if I could continue at this point, like with, with my eight month old, Yes, I'm going to reestablish that account, even if it's $5 a month or $5 a paycheck, sure. but I want to have that opportunity. So when he does get ready to graduate, if he doesn't want to go to college, he can at least have the money to buy himself a car or get an apartment or something along those lines. Yeah, I say, you know, and I, I started mine for my kid right when she was six months old. Um, I put $25 a week away for her and like, you know, calculations, it, if it does bare minimum or, or loses even like I, I pay for two years of basic college right like I mean nothing you know if she goes to Ivy League I mean one year but um sorry, 25 bucks adds up um you know I I think uh so are you doing so you say you have a bank account now I guess why haven't you taken that bank account and put it towards your debt um I still have to have an emergency fund because I'm a homeowner. Um, so I, it's, it's not a lot, it's not a lot of money, uh, sure. because I'm house poor and I'm car poor. Uh, and I'm still trying to reestablish, you know, a positive financial thing. When COVID hit, it, it affected everybody financially. I mean, it depleted a lot of the savings and this and that, um, you know, but establishing that emergency fund is, is imperative because cars do break down, you know, water heaters do go out in homes. And, um, you know, I want to make sure that I have a little bit of money in the bank so I don't have to go get a Lowe's card or I don't have to go take out a loan in order to pay for, you know, a new brake cylinder on my truck. So that's why I haven't put it towards my debt. And not only that, but the amount that I put in there per paycheck is not enough to affect my budget. It's not enough to affect the, the end result. So it builds up slowly over time, but it's also going to save me, you know, 13.5% on a credit card. It's also going to save me, you know, 8% on a loan over the course of five years. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I've done the loans. I've done the, I've done the op loans. I've done the payday loans. I, I survived on payday loans for, you know, just over a year for a period of my life. 
But starting to look back at how much I paid in interest over time, over those payday loans. And again, it took me a long time to get to where I'm at. It's not beneficial for me to do that. It's just as easy for me to put $40 away on my paycheck because I'm not going to miss that 40 bucks. Sure. So. So, um, Now, so I guess like, you know, from the talks that we've had, like, I think you're on the right path. Um, Is there anything that you feel you could work on um, to, to help better yourself in, in this situation? In financial situation? Yes. Well, obviously, uh, my response to that is, is I could always find a better job that pays more. Uh, sure. But, uh, but until I'm done with college, I mean, I still, I've got, I've got one semester left of college and then I'm done, but it's just, it, it's difficult to find the finances to do that. And I know that I said that I have a bank account and that I can do this and that and the other thing. My biggest concern is, is, Am I going to go into that career when I'm done with college? No, I'm just so deep into it that it's like, I just got to finish now so I can have that piece of paper. Um, I think that if I were to get my my bachelor's degree in the field that I'm going to school for, um, then it would definitely benefit me. But that's the medical field and I'm in wholesale and warehousing. Yeah. So, you know, am I, do I want to go back to wearing a dress shirt every day? No. You know, it, I'm, I'm comfortable in the field that I'm in. I enjoy what I do and I just don't, I don't want to do that, but I'm so close that it's like, I have to finish doing this. I might as well. Sure. So what can I do on that? Well, right now I'm just enjoying time with my kid and, and, you know, getting, getting caught up on things. Um, I wish there was a way that I could invest a little bit better. Like when I cashed out my 401k, I, I kept aside half of it. Um, it was only, it was only a three year 401k. It wasn't anything major, but uh, sure. instead of me, you know, paying down debt with that, I should have invested some of it in like probably CDs or something that was going to have a, a, a higher turn uh, on my investment. But I, I chose we'll to talk, pay out debt instead. You and I will talk investments. Okay. Um, I got some great vehicles that you can dump some pennies into. I mean, yeah. literal, literally small micro investments of, you know, money you'll never miss that'll help, you know, build over time. I think, uh, you know, so, you know, take a look at your budget, figure out what you have left. Um, you have 20 payments left in your vehicle. Yep. You know, so that's less than two years. Your kid will be two years and eight months or two years and six months at that point, or four, sorry, two years, six months. Um, so, right. I, it's not too late at that point to start investing when your kid's less than three years old. So, but just understand, make sure you keep that mindset of, Hey, from three years from now, I'm used to paying. And are you going to drop your car from full coverage to PLPD? Um, Because of the distance that I drive to work, it makes sense to do that. Um, I have my insurance because I've been accident free and ticket free for so long. uh, I pay $120 a month for my car insurance but I also have my life insurance policy through my, through my insurance company and my daughter's car, which she's now going to start paying me. So that's going to surplus me a hundred bucks a month because she's going to be basically paying that back to me, which I'm actually looking at that hundred dollars a month of, do I pay it towards my debts or do I put it into the bank? So I say, and honestly, my opinion, right. And again, it's just my opinion. You could take it for what it's worth, but 
um, the faster you can get that truck paid off. I mean, that opens, what'd you say? 500 or 300? Five, 560 a month. Right. That open that opens 560. So every five months you make another payment. So right in, in the two year span, you will, you will knock off. So you'll have, uh, 2019, 18, 17, 16 payments instead of 20 payments. Um, right. And that's next week. So I'm granted you're going to start the, the, the little bit after, but my opinion, right. Is, is knock off that amount of time. And right when your kid turns two, you will, you will be turning into investing at least, you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say half of that. Right. But like, even if you did a third of that, right. If you took, if you took 125 bucks every, every month, you know, or 150, 75 bucks a paycheck and started investing that towards your kid. And, and it doesn't have to be towards your kid, right? Like you can want, you can want it to be towards your kid. So my goal here, here's how I state it, right? My goal with my betterment account is for my daughter. Now, if I get into OF me situation, right? Like I can pull that money out of my betterment account and, and pay my, pay my stuff. And yeah, like I'll restart later with my kid type of a thing. My first concern is that, but like my, my main bottom line concern is, is me and making sure that she has a roof over her head, yeah. making, making sure that she has her basics. So I would suggest, right, like doing a betterment account because you can instantly withdraw that like when something happens. If not, it, it, it builds, um, right, like it builds uh, interest constantly. So take the, other ha- or take the other half of that money and put it towards your house and then you have – a quarter of it, you know, a quarter, another 125, um, basically that you can start investing in, in, you know, yourself and, and your retirements or things like that. Um, but right. So have that, have that, Hey, I, I want to make this for my kid, you know, and, and mine is, it's not necessarily college, right. Cause you have a son that didn't go to college or, you know, doesn't think he's going to college, but you know, the, we're still in old school days where it's like the, the dad, I have a daughter. And so the, the idea is, is like the, the, the bride side pays for things. And it's like, you know, I'm not going to give her like her dream wedding if she has like this Disneyland wedding, but I'll, I'll give her some type of money. Right. Or right. you said like, Hey, a car. Um, because I remember driving to high school and like, I wouldn't make it some days cause my car would break down or something like that. But like, you know, it's a, a somewhat reliable thing or, you know, but always know that that money is guaranteed for you and it's just earning interest until you absolutely need it. And, if, and your hope is to never, never need that damn money, right? Like right. I hope that for the rest of my life, I don't need this money. I want this money. It's a totally different scenario, needs and wants. So um, yeah, get, get that truck paid off because you know, you'll, you'll lower, you'll lower. That's five, that's five fifty a month. That's back in your pocket. And that's, you know, hopefully half price on PLPD. So that's another, you know, that's another 50 bucks right there. Yeah. So, um, yeah. you know, and Eric talked about something important. He need, he wants to get that piece of paper and him and I have talked about this too. I mean, we're basically in the same spot. I got five classes to go to get my piece of paper. My degree is going to be in finance. I'm not really going to use it other than, you know, for myself, I'm not getting a new job. Um, but the, the one thing you said, Eric, you don't want to go back to wearing, you know, button up shirts. Yeah, I don't want to go back to working in an office, but I think we're at the point, you know, it's 2020 and if COVID has taught companies anything, it's that 
the way they used to do business might not necessarily be the best way to do business. They're right. They're realizing that people can work from home and, and actually be very productive in their pajamas. Cause you know, I full disclosure, I don't get dressed on a daily basis. I don't have to, I work from home. You know, I get dressed when I go to break room therapy. That's it. Yeah. Or if, if I'm going to the store or something or, you know, but if I'm home all day, I, there's no reason for me to get up and, and go through the motions of, of a normal day at the office because it's not a normal day at the office. So, you know, whenever you finish your degree, because I know it's important to you as, you know, minus to me, you, you never know in three years what that degree might be able to do for you because who knows what jobs are even going to look like three years down the road. Right. Well, in, in two, it's, it's, it's kind of funny you say that because I only put this button down shirt on for your broadcast because I'm wearing gym shorts. <laughs> and uh, a lot of my gumball broadcasts are the same way. I only put a shirt on. I, I don't, I don't get dressed on the weekends. It's just, it's, it's not my thing. Um, but you're absolutely right. And I, I share that mindset with you substantially is, is like, this is over zoom right now. Our, our, our conversation or, or all of this is over zoom. And I have a feeling that in the next year or two, I mean, who knows when this pandemic is going to be over when they, when they declare it to be cured or, or whatever. I mean, this is the plague, really. And who knows? I mean, thankfully, we have technology on our side and we have the ability to work from home. Um, in my physical field, I can't work from home. My last job before I started here, I could not work from home. I had to be, to be at work. I was an essential worker. I'm still an essential worker. And I love that fact. The number one reason why I love that fact is because I have guaranteed income. I have guaranteed overtime. I'm there physically. And that can't be taken away from me unless, you know, everything goes on shutdown again. Um, and it's terrifying um, because think about all the people that are out there right now that rely on physical contact. If we look at people with tattoo shops, we look at people with hair salons, we look at, you know, restaurants are fine because you can pull up, you can do roads, you know, curbside delivery, you, you pull up, you pick it up, you grab it, you go. Uh, same thing with Target. It's it's really nice at Target because I'm not going in there spending a hundred bucks when I go in there for a new toothbrush, you know, um, it, and it actually saves me and helps me out, but it's hindering that business. And in sitting here watching all the, the brick and mortar stores go to the wayside, when I say brick and mortar, I'm talking about small business, you know, break room therapy. I, I can only imagine how much different life would be for you and Don in if COVID wasn't here. People are afraid to go out and do things because they're afraid of the COVID. And, um, you know, the meetings, the recovery meetings that I was holding in person that we would have 10, 12, 15 people at aren't over a computer now, you know, um, the company that I worked for prior to this, everybody started working from home and they did realize that if you didn't need to be there to service the customer, then just sit at home and do your computer. Um, I worked in South Bend, so in South Bend, Indiana, things were way different. We didn't shut anything down down there. People were traveling down there to get their hair cut. People were traveling down there to get tattoos and, and new piercings because they didn't shut stuff down, you know. But then after about four months of this stuff, they were like, oh, well, maybe we should reconsider this, you know. Um, I can do therapy appointments on Zoom. I can do them over the Internet. I can do them on Facebook Live. You know, I can, I can do those things from home, but in my current situation, I can't do that. So it's, it's kind of a struggle to understand that what you just said three years from now, who knows what the world's going to look like. 
you know, and you're absolutely right. Most people don't forecast that. Most people don't look that far out. They look at paydays on Friday. You know, I have to work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday in order to get paid on Friday. So I have to go to work. Um, and it's, it's a nice thing that a lot of us have that fallback crutch, but people that have worked at Meyer their entire lives or worked in, you know, um, car sales and stuff like that, they're, they're going to, it's going to suck for them eventually. And if my job decides to shut down, it's going to suck for me. Yeah, I'll get unemployment, but money runs out over time with the government too. It's not just out of our bank accounts. You well, know? you know, you bring up a good point. So when we were allowed to reopen the break room, we just, you know, we were only doing one room at a time. You had to call when you got there because we didn't want any cross-contamination with people coming in. And in October, we made the decision, okay, let's go with both rooms can run, you know, same time. So we actually saw our sales go down because now we're running both rooms and people knew it. That lasted two weeks. I, and, you know, I, I've had this talk with several people, you know, I, I work for Spectrum Health and Tina, our CEO, got on there and she, you know, basically painted the picture that, you know, hospitals are, are overwhelmed. We're days from capacity. This was a couple of weeks ago. And, and really, we need to start doing a better job of getting this under control. And Dawn and I sat down and talked and we're like, we're going back down to one room. We, we just we don't want to contribute to any issues. And literally, we made that announcement. And, and within the 24 hours, sales just dumped. Because people were looking at us going, okay, well, they're safe again. There's not a lot of people. We can go back to this place. And, and since we've been you know, fairly busy again because people need that outlet and they're not as worried about coming in and, and seeing other people and you know, having to protect themselves any more than they already do. Because you know, we, we take all these precautions safety-wise and cleaning-wise. So they know where a safe space to come to not only, you know, that they can come and get that out, but they also know it's going to be clean and, and they're going to be taken care of. I think, I think too, in, in your situation with it being a, a, a niche, um, a niche business, you know, <laughs> COVID can only help you guys right now, I, I think. And, and, you know, um, I'm a lot more, financially minded now than I was years ago. And, and I'm definitely not on yours and Nick's level, but, but I do try to understand and I overanalyze everything. And, and, you know, when I worked for myself, if I still worked for myself, I'd be in a very serious financial situation right now. I would be struggling to make ends meet. And for that, I'm thankful, you know, to, to be able to be an essential worker. And I'm glad I don't work on an ambulance anymore. I'm glad I don't work as a firefighter anymore. I'm glad that I don't work as a medical examiner anymore because there's a lot of family involvement. Medical examiners are constantly in the nursing homes right now. Uh, you know, deaths, death rates, paramedics, same thing. And, and you know, God bless them. I, I, you know, the only thing that I miss about that job is the people both alive and dead, <laughs> you know, but, but I do miss, I do miss the people a lot. And, but I don't miss the risks that come with that. And I thank you and Don for, for doing what you guys are doing. And, and you, you guys are, 
you know, it, it's, it's odd that it took so many years for you and I to connect as on a friendship level, as well as, you know, a professional level. Um, is Helen DeVos part of the Spectrum Network? It is. Okay. I only ask that because um, my son was born with club feet. And when he was born, we, um, his, he was born February 25th. Um, we had our first appointment at Helen DeVos uh, 10 days later. And we went there and he had to be casted. His feet had to be casted so that they could do the corrective. And we're doing correction without surgery. Um, we went in and he got his first casting. And then two weeks later, when we went back for casting, they're like, we're going to have to do a longer term thing. So um, in his castings, he was supposed to get a new cast every week for the period of 16 weeks and COVID kind of shut that down. But thankfully, um, the, the, the doctor at Helen DeVos was able to come up with a creative action and, and we've corrected a substantial amount of his, his deformities just because of their, their adaption to the COVID thing. So, but like, if we go to an appointment, it's either his mom or me, we can't both go, you know, but that's another thing where it's like, I respect that hundred percent. So, um, you know, good job to the spectrum health network and your CEO, you said Tina, you know, good job to her in, in keeping, you know, everybody in, in, in their best interest. Um, I definitely think that hospitals, we can learn a lot from hospitals right now. We can learn a lot from working from home, um, both in the financial field, as well as professional and in personal fields too. So, uh, well, yeah, I've always been of the opinion. I, we, we did all staff meetings for priority every quarter. Mm -hmm. I was always of the opinion, this is an absolute waste of my time. They drag us in, they stick us, we're not even on campus because we're too big. And they just tell us everything's great and, you know, rah, rah, everybody love each other. And, and that's not kind of my scene. I, I don't care about that. I just, you know, give me the information, let me go on about my business. And now because of COVID, obviously we do everything virtually. And I got to say, you know, we're doing them about once a month right now. And they're so much better because the questions, most of the questions that are being asked are actually relevant. They're really sharing where we're at, what our forecast is, you know, what, what we expect to happen. And, you know, with my wife owning a small business, that gives me the opportunity to go, okay, maybe we need to pull up back on this or, okay, maybe it's getting a little better. It, it gives me that insight now of, you know, how worried do we need to be? Right. You know, and if anybody saw my post on Facebook last night, I, I hopped up on my soapbox because we ordered takeout from 84th street pub down the road. Yep. And good food. They, yeah. And they had sent home one of their employees and she called the general manager in tears because they were dead all day and she leaves work and Culver's is out the parking lot and down the road, the line for drive through I'm a fat guy, okay? I, I, Nick and I talk about this a lot. I've eaten Culver's. Culver's has decent food. It's not cheap. You know, if Don and I go there, we're going to spend 20 bucks probably on the two of us. Minimum. I'm going to spend that at 84th Street. I, I'm not supporting Culver's at this point. I, I get that it's a franchise. 
you know, and, and they're independently owned. And yeah, it is helping whoever owns that one. But 84th Street is not a franchise. That's a small business. I'm going to go support them. I'm going to spend my money there because I know they're struggling. And Don and I make the commitment, you know, we're going to eat out from a, a small business once a week. We're going to over tip when we go there, even though, you know, we're not getting obviously table service or anything, but I'm going to leave 25, 30% on a tip just because I know they're struggling and, and it's my turn to help them out. Because again, you know, we're in the community, these, these small businesses, they're the ones that sponsor your youth sports teams or have the Toys for Tots donation box and throws the extra money to them or does school supply center, whatever they do, they're always given money. Right. So I, uh, I say, I always like to finish these things with uh, some great words, like subscribe, share, Tell your friends about it. Um, we're looking to have a few more people on talking about some debt. Um, Eric, thank you so much for talking about your debt. And uh, I hope the, the little bit of knowledge there at the end. Um, I'm looking to, to reach back out with you here soon um, and figure out if you've taken some advice to, to start investing in, in betterment of things and uh, where we're headed with it. So uh, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, yep. I want to, before I give Eric the final word, I want to thank Coca-Cola again for your coming sponsorship. I, I look forward to that. Um, uh, thanks for joining us for this special episode, guys. Eric, I can't thank you enough for pulling open your life and just kind of throwing it out there. Um, I knew you would, and that's, you know, very appreciative to us. And, and I'm going to give you the final words since, you know, you're there. Who's that? Me or Nick? You. You. Oh, <laughs> well, thanks, guys. I uh, I had a really good time. Um, wasn't nearly uh, what I expected, and I'm glad that I could contribute. Um, hopefully, people can sign to, kind of see the uh, the normie side of things a little bit more, and uh, and understand that um, you know, again, as with anything in life, you're not alone. Um, we all just need some guidance sometimes. Um, love your fellow human and do what you got to do. Um, you know, we only have one life to live, and whether it's a financial disaster or an emotional disaster, uh, we still make it out alive until the end. So do what you got to do. Uh, thank you guys very much. I've already written down a majority of our conversation uh, and I'll revisit this for, uh, for information. And next time we check in, hopefully everything's a little bit better. Sounds good. Thanks everybody. Thanks Dave.